I looked at my life at that point and I said, okay, I made $39,000. I live in a studio bedroom apartment with my parents and I pay $200 a month in rent. I have a computer that I financed, a bed that I had made by myself from Home Depot, went and bought parts. My dad's a carpenter by trade. And so I picked up some of his handyman skills. And then I had two or $3,000 in credit card debt and a financed car in the driveway. So about $16,000 in debt. And it just hit me that that was just a really bad recipe uh, for finances. You know, thirty-nine grand you made, sixteen thousand dollars in debt, and uh, you're living at home with your parents. That's not something that I, I ever wanted to repeat again in my life. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled Podcast. This is episode number 181. Clark, how's it going? What's going on in your world? Not much. What's going on? How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, doing great. Uh, we're just getting ready for summer down here. Tipped over 90 degrees today and uh, got me thinking about the pool, man. Yeah, are you going out to the lake? Yeah, I've been going out to the lake like every week, but I think, let's see here, two weeks ago was the first week I took the wetsuit off, so this week will definitely not be in wetsuits. It'll be nice and warm and water's getting warmer, so going out to the lake pretty much every week and swimming at the pool. What about you? Getting warm in New York so can yet? You, can you go there year-round, like January, December, January, February? Can you swim outside with the wetsuit? Pretty much. I mean, we'll, we'll always have, you know, an 80-degree day that or weekend that we you know, January, December type thing. Obviously, we had the ice storm this year, but, you know, a week later it was 75 degrees. So, the the weather kind of holds up through the winter in terms of like, it's, it'll be 60s and low 70s and sunny. So, putting on a wetsuit, you know, I'll be water skiing pretty much all through the the winter months. You know, at some point in just, you know, before Christmas through about midway through the January probably won't be out, but the rest of the time of the year we are nice yeah it, it reminds me you were we, you mentioned it last week on our introduction that some of the lifeguards in california well some maybe is an overstatement but there's a few lifeguards in in california last year that made about four hundred thousand dollars right the top lifeguards yeah man it's 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 like quite the career route if you you know if you really want to hang out by the beach yeah. So this article says, we just thought this was interesting. The highest paid Los Angeles lifeguards earn up to 390000 annually, and dozens of others rake in more than $200,000 a year. Uh, meanwhile, 82 of the sun-soaked public employees made more than 200000 So 82 uh, lifeguards made over 200000 in California last year. By contrast, New York's two highest earning police officers in 2018 were paid $323,000. So there you go. Lucrative careers. Yeah, great incomes. And it reminds me, too, we're going to be getting a bunch of these lagoons around the United States, especially here in Texas, but all throughout the United States popping up here with that uh, that lagoon technology that they've developed down in Florida. Maybe some of these lifeguard positions will expand out, out of the state of California. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. So today's show, we have Tony. His net worth is $2.5 million. Nearly half of it is in his paid-for house, which is interesting. We talked about this a little bit, a few weeks back about how many millionaires, you know, have million-dollar homes, and, and Tony's one of them. And we get into why he paid that off and, you know, why he has such a, a substantial portion of his net worth in his house. The rest is, is divided up as retirement accounts, cash, and a few other assets. 
Last week we had Harry. He's an Army vet, 20 plus years in the military. He had a net worth of $1.8 million and a pension, so probably put his net worth closer in the, the low four range. 400K in a TSB and, and a TSP and over 100 or 1 million in various other retirement accounts. House $250,000 and some startup stocks. We appreciate you tuning in to the podcast week after week. If you enjoy the show, we appreciate you leaving a five-star review on either iTunes or Stitcher. Helps us to continue to grow the show and reach new millionaire interviewees. Obviously, we try to get a broad range of guests. And it reminds me, Clark, we've got episode 200 coming up. I know for episode 100, we had David on who's worth over $100 million. I'd love to get somebody worth over 200 or 200, around 200 if we could. So if anybody out there listening, interested, knows somebody, uh, definitely, you know, reach out to us. Happy to, to conceal identity and whatnot. But that would be super cool, don't you think? We get somebody on the show worth 200 for, for episode 200. Yeah, there you go. Every, every hundredth episode. We should just start lining up the episodes by the millions. <laughs> yeah. You're worth 181 today based on today's market. <laughs> Come on this episode. <laughs> Oh, man. So, we continue to get great reviews. Appreciate those that have definitely left reviews this month, you know, on, especially on iTunes. We've got five stars all over the place. Really appreciate it. Those, uh, those that keep uh, putting those reviews out definitely helps us continue to grow the show. And, and we wouldn't have this show without you. So, really appreciate it. Uh, you know, let's talk real estate real quick. Real estate's hot. If you've got a deal uh, off market particularly, let us know. Definitely pay a finder's fee. And if you're interested in investing, we're always, uh, you know, opening up things to, to new investors too when we get these deals. So you reach out to us, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. Without any further delay, let's get into the episode today with Tony. Tony, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. And by the way, love your, your inspiration and the, and the show. Uh, millionaires unveiled and uh it's just uh just phenomenal what you guys are doing and and it's really something that you know you you say uh what am i doing now well i'm kind of doing the same thing you guys are doing which is really teaching people that anyone can become a millionaire uh if you make the right life and financial choices so my background is i was 25 years old and growing up in a broke family i was doing the same broke stuff my parents were doing and I got my first W-2 out of college and it blew my mind that I had made that much money. And I, I had a, what I call a financial awakening. And so I started investing at that time. And then a few years after that, went to work for a guy named Dave Ramsey and spent about 15 years with him, uh, helping him transition his business into the digital world. And then most recently, uh, I've got my own book out now called The Millionaire Choice, really about helping people make their own millionaire choice and create their own millionaire plan. Wow, that's pretty awesome. And I want to get into the, your background and your story a little bit, but what's your net worth today? Yeah, I'm right around two million. I'm down a little bit because I've started done a startup, but uh, I was around two and a half, and then I've invested quite a bit into you know transition uh, from career to what I'm doing now. That's pretty phenomenal. And how is it invested? Yeah, so most of my money right now is in real estate. I've moved it around over the years. But I've at this time in my life chose to keep a lot of it in, uh, you know, solid assets like real estate. But I've got a little bit in an individual stock. I moved my my Roth IRA into an individual stock. So I dumped my mutual funds, uh, which are, you know, very not conservative, but, you know, safe investments. And I wanted to absorb a little bit more risk because I felt like my safe investments were wrapped up in my real estate. And so I'm in a, a technology venture. It seems to be doing pretty well. I'm up about 50% over the last two years in that one. And uh, 
in store for a pretty big windfall, hopefully in the next 18 months. And then uh, I've gotten into some cryptocurrency, so I still have a little bit of crypto left. I dumped quite a bit of it, but I've got some left. And then more recently moved into some gold and silver, which I hadn't done for a long time. Interesting. And how much of, of what you have invested in real estate is in single family or multifamily or what's what's kind of the breakup there? Yeah, obviously, I've got my, my home, which is uh, around uh, about a million bucks just in our home is what it's worth. And then I've got a rental property down in Florida, which is a short-term vacation rental. And that one also is around a million bucks. It's about uh, 2,800 square foot on the panhandle. Oh, wow. That's pretty amazing. And are, is that a rental or is that just vacation or? Well, unfortunately, the government says you can only use your rental properties about two weeks out of the month, or out of the year. I'm sorry, two weeks out of the year. And so, yeah, it's a short-term vacation rental that we rent out year-round. I see. I see. And are both of those paid for? Yeah, paid for, bought and sold, just paid, wrote the check, man. Wow, that's pretty amazing. So you've got a good chunk of your net worth in, in two pieces of real estate, basically. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So I'm not I'm not too diversified across multiple properties, but uh, you know, real estate's a pretty safe investment, and especially here in Nashville and in the Florida panhandle, we see pretty high growth rates in the the rental income. Interesting. I I wanna get into this because for the most part, the majority of our millionaires we've had on the on the podcast, they've chosen not to have a paid for house or have not uh or or I guess kept a mortgage around, you know, longer than maybe they could have. Maybe they had more cash in the bank. Why did you choose to have paid for real estate and 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 when did that kind of take shape in in your financial life? Well, <laughs> I'm going to take you back a little bit on my mindset there because uh you know, when I was 25, I had gotten this vision of uh you know, debt was my enemy and so I was about $16,000 in debt. I uh, had made $39,000, but ended up $16,000 in debt. And so when I had my financial wake-up call, I realized that debt was my enemy and investing was good. And so I tried to flip both of those switches at the same time, and I developed a debt-free mindset where I just wanted to pay off my car, my house, everything as fast as I could. And uh, I didn't plan on getting married. I didn't have that in my financial plan. I kind of missed that one. And then I didn't plan on having six kids, so that threw me off. But uh, I tried to move my wife <laughs> during the engagement period. We started house hunting. I tried to get her to move into a trailer uh, because I knew I could buy a trailer for about forty thousand and uh, pay it off as quickly as possible. But she didn't. She didn't accept that that plan. And so I had to get into the you know the home mortgage uh, industry there. And, and we did a thirty year loan on our first house. And what I realized when you have a thirty year loan, you can't uh, you can't pay you don't build a lot of equity in those early on. It wasn't until I sold that house that I realized uh, I hadn't built up much equity. And so my next house, we went aggressively after it and paid it off in about six and a half years, uh, which was awesome. And then when we moved into our new home, paid it off. Took about three or four more years to pay it off. So we haven't had a mortgage since two thousand twelve. The reason I did that, and and I know that if you, a lot of people believe you should carry a mortgage on your house and instead of paying your house off, stick it into investments. Um, and I think financially, if everything goes as planned, uh, that's a good plan and it will deliver a higher net worth to you over long term, um, mathematically. And I'm a big math guy, but I just didn't want to carry the risk. I just didn't like having a debt payment and I didn't like having the risk. So we went after it. And we didn't do it exclusively in place of our investments. We were still doing investments heavily as well, but we aggressively went after the house payment for that reason, for the risk reason. Yeah, interesting. So on that second home, did you have a a 30-year or 15-year mortgage on the second one? Yeah. So the first house I had, it was uh, $62,500. My house note was 500 bucks a month. And uh, 
and we stayed in that house about five years. And the second house, we did do a 30 year mortgage. But uh, and the reason I like doing the 30 year is because you never know what kind of financial curveballs are going to get thrown at you. And, you know, if you lose your job, you know, $200 or $300 a month on your house payment could be a deal breaker for you. And so I went with the 30 year on actually on all three of my properties. I just aggressively paid them down. Interesting. So during that time period, you were aggressively paying these down. Did you stop or halt investing in retirement accounts or was it just in addition to? I did both at the same time. So uh, mostly just in 401ks and things like that. During a 15-year period of my life, I really locked down on individual stock investments and got away from that uh, and just really put money into 401k and you know mutual fund investments. And then my methodology for paying the house off was probably a little bit different than most people. What I did was pay extra on the mortgage each month as I could afford it, but I also built up my savings account at the same time. And so what that allowed me to do was to have cash in case of uh, risk uh, occurred, you know, obviously a mutual fund, I'm sorry, emergency fund uh, that I was building up. And then when the balance on my emergency fund and the balance on my home loan were equal, I just wrote the check to pay the house off in one fell swoop. And my last check that I paid on the house that we're in now, which we've been in for 10 years, uh, was I believe it was 80, it was over 80,000. I think it was about $89,000 check to pay the house off. Awesome. Good for you. So is the plan to keep acquiring real estate or are you good with these two rentals? I think right now I'm just going to hold on to the two that I have. I'm gonna, I'm looking into different ways to invest. Um, one, a couple that I'm looking into right now specifically is uh, real estate syndication. And I really like some of the numbers that I'm seeing back out of the real estate syndication market. Uh, a few people I've talked to which I think I can get higher returns than in my rental properties. And also uh, REIT investments. I would like to diversify to some real estate investment trusts. Yeah. So of the money that you have in the market, what's the total again? And how much, what's the breakout between retirement and non-retirement accounts? Oh, right now, what I did is I've, I've moved money around a lot. So my retirement accounts are actually pretty small by comparison, uh, just because of the transition, career transition and, and new business startup stuff I'm doing. So, um, I've actually only got about a hundred thousand in my Roth right now, and then um, it's actually that's not true. It's it's probably about a hundred fifty because it's up about fifty percent. And then if things play out well, I won't even speculate on the numbers, but I expect that one to end up getting pretty big. And so what's what's a little bit different? I don't know if you've ever seen this or had these guys on. Uh, I've talked to a few people that do this risky stuff, but when they do startup businesses on their own after walking away from corporate America. Uh, they'll drain down their retirement accounts a little bit. And that's what I've been doing. Only I've got six kids and uh, my wife and I have chosen to keep them in private school. That was a big commitment for us. And so we've been jockeying money around, moving it around to take care of necessary expenses and, you know, startup capital for the business as well. Yeah. So t- Tony, we've talked about your allocation a bit here. Let- let's talk about your story. Uh, initially, you mentioned you-, you grew up and had a financial awakening. What what was that? Was it a specific moment, a conversation, or did it happen over time? <laughs> well, no, I was spending money like crazy. And yeah, it was a specific time. I was 25 years old and I uh, had my first full year as an engineer out of college. And when I got my W-2 from my employer to file my taxes that year, I opened my W-2 up and was holding a $39,000 W-2, you know, gross income. You know, and I saw that and then I, I looked at my life at that point and I said, okay, I made $39,000. I live in a studio bedroom apartment with my parents and I pay $200 a month in rent. I have a computer that I financed 
I have a television that I paid cash for, a car stereo, I mean a home stereo, really nice home stereo. I believe men should have nice electronics. The big tower speakers, a bed that I had made by myself from Home Depot, went and bought parts. My dad's a carpenter by trade, and so I picked up some of his handyman skills. And then I had two or $3,000 in credit card debt and a financed car in the driveway, so about $16,000 in debt. And it just hit me that that was just a really bad recipe uh, for finances. You know, thirty-nine grand you made, sixteen thousand dollars in debt, and uh, you're living at home with your parents. That's not something that I, I ever wanted to repeat again in my life. And so it was that moment that was my financial awakening, which caused me to do the only thing I really knew how to do, because my parents didn't know how to manage money. Otherwise, I would have, you know, obviously done something different. Um, so I just went to the bookstore, man, and started to read everything I could about finances, you know, Smart Money Magazine, Kiplinger Magazine, uh, you name it, I grabbed it. And then after that, what I realized was money was really just a math problem. And if you knew how to do the math and you made the right, you know, life and financial choices, as I say, then you could end up becoming a millionaire. And after I crunched the numbers, I'm like, you know what, I think I can become a millionaire by age uh, 40 years old. And so from age 25 to 40, that's what I worked on. Wow, good for you. So you set that goal. That goal to get there by 40. Yeah, I think 40, uh, you know, what's interesting over the years, uh, I thought I did a pretty good job by getting there by 40. And then, you know, after my book came out and I started talking to more millionaires, I found people who did it by age 25, age 31, age 30. And uh, they came from the same kind of background I did, if not worse, you know, less money, knowledge, um, more difficult family situations, uh, more poverty. Uh, we were low income. We weren't in poverty. And so all walks of life, people can do this and are doing it all over America. Yeah, good for you. So at what age did you hit it? Did you hit it at 40? Yeah, yeah. Later? Did it uh, ni- uh, 2000. Uh, let, me get my, let me figure out what age I was at, right? I'm basically uh, asking your age, right? <laughs> the, older, the older you get, the more you forget. Uh, yeah, t- 2010. Yeah, 2010 before I turned 41. Okay, wow. Good for you, man. Good for you. So right, right, on, right on track. So how, how did you connect up with Dave Ramsey? Well, interestingly enough, Dave and my history were pretty interesting because uh, he actually came in and taught a premarital class at my church um, where my wife and I were doing the premarital counseling and, and classes. And he came in and taught a financial class. And uh, I still remember the day he was talking about the debt snowball and asking, you know, which credit card would you pay off first? And I raised my hand. You know, I'm usually the first one in a room to raise a hand. And so I did. And I said, oh, you, you, you pay the you pay the lowest one off first. And he, he asked me, he says, have you been looking at my material? Have you read my material? I'm like, no, it just makes sense. Like, get rid of it. It's small. Get rid of it. And uh, little did I know, that was 1990. Uh, let's see, that would have been 1998. And then in 2001, I actually was sitting across the table from him doing my final interview for his company at an O'Charlie's in Brentwood, Tennessee. And uh, that, that started a 15-year career for me. Wow. So did you just apply for a job after that or how did you get connected? Well, I actually uh, applied for the job, but it was posted in a Christian classifieds at our church. And and I just responded to the ad. You know, I've been looking for a, a, a job change or a career change for about two years. And uh, Dave was trying to get into the Internet. And that was something that I was very passionate about. So uh, I knew just enough about Internet technology to be dangerous. And fortunately, that was enough to get the job with him. Yeah, so you worked for him for 15 years, as much as you're comfortable sharing. How, how was that? Oh, it was a phenomenal. Dave, Dave Ramsey is a fantastic leader. He's a fantastic man. 
he's got a lot of heart and uh, really believes in helping people and growing his team, always investing in the team, always trying to figure out what's what's the best for the company and what's the best for the team. And, and uh, you know, obviously reaching pe- people and one of the hardest working men you're ever going to meet for sure. He, he's got an engine that just never quits. Well, I mean, congrats to you too, right? I think you were a big part of that team being there for 15 years. So you've obviously helped in how many millions, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, Dave's been at it now for 30 years and, uh, it really, there's no, there really isn't a second place person, uh, in that industry, you know, reaching out and helping people. There's not a close second. Sometimes you'll have a, a market leader and then you'll have a second place, but you really got to go, you know, five or six rungs down to get somebody that's done as much impact and helping people change their lives financially as Dave has. So did that investing mindset Im- impact you? Did you invest the way that, that he, I mean, you did with your real estate, right? We know you, d- you didn't have any debt on the real estate. What about on, on mutual funds? Yeah. So uh, before I met Dave, I actually did stock trades. And so I was an individual stock trader. That's how I, when I, my investment strategy at 25 was really to invest in individual stocks and also invest in mutual funds. So I set aside my money each month for investing and I put, uh, you know, did the auto deposit, auto draft. Uh, make it easy, make it automatic, just like, you know, David Box's automatic millionaire and put this money in the mutual funds. And then I had additional money and I was doing uh, tech stocks. And so I like technology. So I read all the tech magazines at that time. Uh, that was what was, you know, on my radar and what I was growing in knowledge wise. So I was trading Cirrix stock. Uh, for you guys that don't know what Cirrix is, it was a, a chip, a chip manufacturer uh, for computer chips to run your PCs and your, you know, Apple computers. And I would trade those stocks every six to nine months. And I was making uh, anywhere from 60 to 90% every six to nine months on my trades, uh, which was awesome, right? But the problem was I just didn't have enough money at that time to make it, you know, make a big dent. And so, you know, if you're growing 500 to $1,000, uh, it doesn't matter if you're growing it at 60 to 90 percent. It still takes a long time to get to a significant number. But after going to work for Dave, you know, obviously Dave is a Dave's teaching is mutual funds for because of the safety in that the diversification. And uh, so I dumped my stock investment strategies. And, you know, for the 15 years I was there, did mutual funds only. That was the only type of investing I did. And then once I left there, got more into some other things. I've done some crypto training, a uh, trading and some other things. So. Looking back now, I mean, you, net worth of 2.5, right? You've obviously done well in your career. You've done well financially. It seems like you have a successful family. Are you glad with the decisions you made? Do you Would you have changed anything investing-wise? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think I would have made a lot of changes. Probably the biggest changes I would have made, I would have bought Apple stock when my wife told me to do it. <laughs> uh, we kind of, she, she <laughs> loves it. Which was at what price? $3 a share. Oh, man. In 2003, yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I've been running the numbers on it because, you know, we're trying to help people make smarter decisions with their money as well. But uh, I, I tell people the best stock advice I ever got was from my wife, and she doesn't know anything about stocks. And and so it's returned. Apple's returned, I think, 45,000% uh, since she told me to do that. And by comparison, I ran the numbers on the S&P index fund, and it's about 360% over the same time frame. So there's really no no comparison between the two. So yeah, so I would have, one thing, I probably would have kept investing in stocks. I would have, I would have kept doing mutual funds. I believe in stacking your investments. Um, I want to stack my lower investments or my safer investments like mutual funds, but I want to stack some riskier investments on top of that. Because I think if you're experienced or knowledgeable enough, you can get a higher rate of return. But 
you shouldn't do that if you're not educated or prepared, you know, to do that. So, but I like to stack it on top of safety because you never know when you make a big, a really bad mistake, you won't have something to fall back on. Um, so, uh, probably the other big thing I would do was I would have kept all my houses. When we moved out of our first house, my house note was only $500 a month. We paid 62500 for it. That house now is worth about $300,000. And we could have easily afforded that $500 a month house payment. Um, the second house, I sold it to, you know, to get into the new house, but we could have also afforded to keep that house and financed it and then moved into the new house. I did not have to sell that other home. So, uh, and that house is worth, I, I believe around, uh, 350 or 400,000. So, you know, my real estate portfolio could be another $700,000, uh, larger than what it is right now. If I would have just kept those other two homes and, and I would have, I would have easily been able to absorb that risk. Uh, but I didn't, you know, and so those are a couple of regrets that I have. Sure. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that. It's not an easy question to, to come on a podcast and answer, right? Let me let me just shift gears a little bit here, Tony, and ask about uh, charitable giving. What part has it played in, in this journey and how do you decide who to help and how much to give to? Yeah, I think uh, as you're making money and, you know, your income goes up, which we, you know, my wife and I both enjoyed. Uh, during my corporate days, you've got to be willing to give back and invest in people, invest in people that need it. There's a lot of people that are in need. And, you know, that's one of my big things is wealth has a purpose. It's a purpose of wealth. Uh, and that's to enjoy life, help others. And in my opinion, serve God. And uh, the interesting thing about money and God is when you have it, uh, you better be expecting God to come knocking and and asking you to give some of it away. And, uh, so while we do our, you know, regimented giving each month and to different things like, you know, orphanages in Haiti and things like that, uh, that's more structured giving. Occasionally we're looking for those opportunities where, you know, God comes knocking and sometimes he comes knocking and asking for a lot of money. And, uh, if you got it, he's going to ask for some of it. And, and that's to show that, the, you know, the reason I believe he does that is one, because we're supposed to do good in his name, but also because he wants you to know, he wants to know that money doesn't have you like you have money, but money doesn't have control of you. And, you know, and that keeps things healthy in your relationship with your money. Yeah. I think it's a great perspective, Tony. So Tony, you built up this net worth. You've, you've got a pretty low risk you know, lifestyle in terms of your investments and you got paid for properties and whatnot. Where do you go from here? Are you trying to target a net worth or a passive income goal down the road? Oh, definitely. Uh, I think I listened to Dan Pina the other day. Uh, he's a billionaire and he had a, a great comment, which I think uh, was really amazing and, and it rings very true to me. And he said, if you shoot for a million dollars, you'll hit a million dollars. If you shoot for $10 million, you'll hit $10 million. If you shoot for a hundred million, you'll hit a hundred million. And so whatever level you go for, that's where your limit is, where you're going to stop. And so, you know, as a 25-year-old kid uh, growing up in a broke family whose mom was borrowing uh, credit cards from her her mother, you know, my grandmother, to finance Christmas each year, uh, that was the lifestyle we lived lived in. Um, to go from that to becoming a millionaire at age 40, that was probably as far as I could see at that time in my life. So now my net, my net worth goal would be uh, $10 million. And then hopefully I'll be able to go past that. But you got to hit, hit each milestone, right? You have to make $10 million before you make $100 million. And so um, my goal would be to get to 10 and then, you know, let's see what we can do after that, you know, stepping stones on these things. But, yeah, that's my goal. And, and the reason I want to do that, again, is because I believe the more money you have, the more you can help people. And it's not just a, like this pursuit. And that's why I want to say that. 
a lot of people get caught up in the idea that, you know, wealth is bad or money's bad or, you know, pursuit of money's bad. And it's, you've just got to have the right heart and the right purpose behind it. And I'm a firm believer, the more money you have, the more you can help people. Totally. So as you've gone on this journey, is there, you know, we talked a little bit about mistakes that you've made financially. Are there certain things related to experiences or maybe things or, or items that you didn't purchase along the way that maybe you regret at all? Things I didn't purchase along the way. <laughs> I wish I'd started taking vacations a lot sooner uh, than I did. Uh, my wife was, uh, she grew up pretty much going back and forth between family and Wyoming and Indiana. So when we got married, uh, the concept of going on a vacation to Florida or a cruise was just a foreign concept to her. And uh, although I grew up taking a few trips with my parents, we, we did travel I, I kind of fell into my wife's mode of operation and her lifestyle. And after about 10 years of that, I just had it. And so I'm like, I'm not going back to your parents' house this year. Uh, I, we're going to take a vacation somewhere else. We're going to go do something else. And so that's when we started traveling together. And uh, one of my goals through that after we started traveling was we, we set a goal to travel um, as a family about twice a year. So once every other quarter and then travel as a couple to somewhere new every other quarter. So tried to, we tried to do four trips a year. And I wish I would have started that sooner or at least, you know, even not if not four, just even one trip per year. That was a really nice trip. The I think it's important for a man to spoil his wife, and I should have started spoiling her a lot sooner. <laughs> I bet she appreciates that. Is it? Is there anywhere in particular you wish you would have gone? Uh, man, I think you know the thing. I, you know, I never traveled outside the United States, Jace. Before, before you know, I think 2012 might have been my first time out of the states, and I wish I'd done more of that, and still want to do more of that. Uh, I had, I've seen a lot of the United States. But uh, I'll mention for your listeners and for you guys, because I think you should try this place out. But there's a wonderful place down in Key West uh, called Little Palm Island. And it's a five island or a five acre island with about 16 uh, little, you know, bungalows on it. And uh, and so the only way you get there is by seaplane or by boat. And so they have boat a boat that I think it's uh, if I remember correctly, it's one of the presidential uh, little yachts that they had. Uh, maybe Harry S. Truman's boat. And and so that place is just a wonderful little getaway. And because it's so isolated, a lot of times you'll have stars that come out there from Hollywood. Uh, I've heard that, you know, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie have been down there, uh, mainly because no paparazzi can get on the island. But it's a wonderful little retreat and uh, just a great place to go. Nice. Sounds neat. So let me just jump to some rapid fire questions here, Tony. Uh, looking back on your life as you've become a millionaire and grown this net worth and been successful in your career, are there a couple things that stand out to you and why you were able to become successful? Was it your ability to work hard? Was it living below your means? Was it your worry of being poor? Are there a couple things that stood out? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things that you have to stack up. Uh, the way I put it is you really need to make the right life and financial choices um, and so if you just make the right financial choices, there's a good chance you can still end up broke uh, later. Um, if you make the right life choices and don't make the right money choices, well, you're not going anywhere. Um, so you really kind of have to put those two things together. So I, and then one of the reasons, not to offend anybody, uh, but one of the things that, you know, and I've talked to some friends that have had this happen, but the fastest way to lose half your net worth is to, you know, mess up your marriage and end up in divorce. And uh, I know that hurts a lot of people because a lot of people have been through that, but uh, I came dangerously close to that as well because of some, you know, stupid things I was doing and stupid mistakes I made. But 
integrity is one of the biggest things. So, you know, in my book, The Millionaire Choice, I talk about you got to develop strong character because I don't believe you can build or keep wealth if you don't have strong character. Yeah. So then the five pieces of character, developing strong character, what really matters is you got to have integrity, responsibility, work ethic. Uh, self-discipline and focus. And if you have those five, I chose those five specifically because they were things that I picked up from my parents. And uh, although my parents didn't teach me about finances, they did teach me about strong character. And then the other element that I think is really important is you have to realize that everybody is created with the same amount of time, you know, when you start. And it's really how you use your time that matters. Are you going to invest it in things that are going to pay dividends for you in the future? Are you going to waste it like on Facebook, social media, video games, uh, or television? And so statistics show that, you know, the average American watches 120 hours of television a month right now. That's, you know, 30 hours a week. That's a full-time job basically. And so, uh, the most successful people and wealthy people, they don't do those kinds of things. And so they maximize their time and use their time. And probably the third one, the third characteristic that I think is really important if you want to build wealth is you got to get money smart. And a lot of people, they don't take time to get money smart. And so we spend, you know, 12 years if you, you know, graduate from high school and then, you know, another four to five or six years if you go on to college. And, um, just like you study math, English, and science in, in those grades and, you know, in secondary education, you have to be willing to study money. And so everybody that became wealthy at some point had to study money and learn it. And so no one is born with the knowledge of how to grow wealth and build it. They had to learn it. Now, some people might learn it a little bit sooner than others, but they still had to learn it. Right. Right, totally agree with you there, and, and really good advice overall. I think really good advice. So thanks for sharing. So just wrapping up here, let me ask you some rapid fire questions. What's the most expensive car you've ever purchased? Uh, that would be my 2012 Corvette, and I paid fifty three thousand for that baby. And then all, uh, all cash, all cash. Just wrote the check. I drove it back from uh, Austin, Texas. So I was at a conference in Austin, bought it in Dallas, and then drove it back. And then just for the record. Uh, my wife's car actually has more money in it than mine now, uh, but I bought her a 2000, I'm sorry, uh, it was a 1969 Corvette for her birthday uh, when she <laughs> when she turned 40, and uh, and then we pumped a lot of money in it to get it to the, the place we wanted. So she's probably got about 60000 in her Corvette right now. Wow, wow. So you guys are Corvette people, obviously. What's been the most expensive meal out that you've paid for personally? Uh, let's see. That would be around probably around $1,000. And that would be when my parents, you know, took my parents on vacation and my in-laws. And so we did a big family vacation and uh, that would have been at one of the hibachi grills down in Florida. And so I believe that one cost me around, it was a thousand or 1500. I can't remember. You're up there, man. You're at one of the top of the list for, for that question. If I can remember right, what items or experiences are worth spending more money on to you and, and what's not worth the money? Yeah, I think the things that I love to spend money on and, you know, and I'll have to be a little bit transparent with you guys and uh, on this is, you know, I've got six kids and uh, for the first, oh gosh, man, probably the first 15, 16 years, uh, I was not the best dad. And so I was, uh, I thought I was doing a better job than my father did. But what I realized is, you know, my dad didn't have a father figure in his life and he did the best he could with me. And I just picked up a lot of bad habits or whatever you want to call them. And so for me, the experiences that matter most right now are really just trying to build times and experiences with my kids 
uh, while they're at home. You know, they're not going to be home forever. My, my youngest is nine. And so I'm really into taking trips and finding new adventures that I can give them experiences on and participate in those to make those memories that they're going to hold with them. You know, so when I'm old and gray and they're helping me around, uh, they'll remember all that stuff. And then, so that, that's probably the most important thing with me right now. And that, that would include travel and things like that. How did you, sorry to interrupt, how did you do that, Tony, with, with such a strong career as well? Any advice there between managing family and managing your career? Because the career can be so demanding, right? Especially as you move up. Yeah, yeah, of course. I think the biggest thing now, knowing what I know now versus what I knew then, is um, fam- as much as possible, you should always put family first. If you have a job that interferes with your family, go find another job. Like, it's it's just not worth it. Like, I don't care how much the job pays you. Uh, it's if it gets in the way of your family, it's just not worth it. Looking back, you know, my job was great and it did not get in my way. Uh, I got in my way. The job did not get in my way. But a lot of people have to work in jobs that do get in the way, you know, 80 hour work weeks or 60 hour work weeks. Uh, I was very fortunate to be working, you know, 40, 50 hours a week, which I think is very manageable. Um, but the problem was for me is that, um, you know, I did not know how to connect real well with my children. And I didn't understand that. And so I thought I was doing a better job than my dad did just because I, you know, experienced more. I did more with my children, but I still was having trouble connecting. And I think the big point there for me, looking back, if I could, you know, counsel my old self would be be intentional, be very, very, very intentional about the time you spend with your kids and don't let anything get in the way. And, you know, some of the things that I'm trying to do these days, especially with six kids around the house, is uh, if I'm busy doing something at home and one of my kids comes in and starts trying to talk to me, in the old days, I would have pushed them away and said, I'm not finished. I'm in the middle of something. Come back later. The new me stops whatever I'm doing and engages with my children, and my wife, anybody that's in the house, uh, in our family. So they all come first. Everything else I'm trying to do comes second now. And that's that was a big flip for me. Um, and honestly, just has happened, you know, I've been married 22 years. My oldest kid's 20 years old. That's only happened for me probably in the last four years that that, that transition's happened. Well, good for you. I appreciate you sharing. Have you ever used a financial advisor? I have used a financial advisor in the past. Uh, probably not as much as I should have. I'm very much a do-it-yourself type person, but I, I'm a big believer in financial advisors. Uh, I think they would have helped me. Well, the one I did had did help me some, but I would have, it would have helped me earlier, especially as a newer investor versus where I am today. I think today I would use a, a financial advisor as a sounding board. And I still think that's value, very valuable because they bring in a, a different perspective. And I think we should always live in wise counsel. Speaking about financial advisors a little bit, uh, probably my big deal with a lot of financial advisors is that a lot of them don't have a net worth over, you know, $500,000. And so they're really getting trained to teach investing in a certain style or methodology, which is usually just put all your money in the stock market or in the mutual fund. And uh, I think you need to have two people in your life, both a financial advisor and what I would call a money mentor or, you know, somebody that's had a lot of success with money that you can bounce ideas off of or go back to and have consulted. That way you can have, you know, just like a doctor, you go to a doctor to get a second opinion. I think you need to have two opinions when you're in your financial life. As much as you're comfortable sharing, what's been your range of household income through your working life? Yeah, uh, I've I've done pretty well. Um, you know, when I started out, uh, well, you know, obviously when I was young, it was four dollars and thirty five cents an hour. Uh, <laughs> that was a long time ago. 
I did not like that job either. And then, you know, obviously I went from working for the hourly wage, which is, uh, you know, how a lot of us start out, you know, we think in the hourly component and uh, eventually you get to transcend that. And, you know, I think for your listeners uh, and future millionaires out there, uh, get away from this hourly thought process, you know, how much you're making per hour and, and get into like unlimited income and work towards that. So, yeah, I got in, I got well into the, the deep six figures uh, and I can't disclose exactly how much that was. But uh, I've done I've done pretty well over the career span, you know, going up through leadership. You know, I think there's a lot of ways to make uh, money. The path that I chose was really business and leadership, and that would that's what allowed me to create a you know really sizable income. I think you got to specialize in something if yep. you want to if you want to get a good income or reach a good income level. Yep, agreed. What about annual household spending? Well, <laughs> probably my, my biggest household expense, let's talk about that for a minute, is, is private school and college right now. We're dropping probably about 70 grand a year uh, just on private school and college. Um, so that's obviously my biggest and probably every year, I guess, has been for probably uh, five, six. Did, oh, did you do 529s or education saving accounts or anything? We did a little bit of that. I actually, uh, I moved away from the 529. I've kind of changed my thinking on that a little bit. Uh, I think the 529s are fine. Uh, I think there are different strategies. My strategy specifically for college is it's my money and I worked for it and I'm keeping it. And you better go figure out where you're going to get your money to pay for your college. And uh, <laughs> that's, you know, I'm just being truthful now. No, no, I'm I mean, it's a good question, right? How yeah, much yeah. To, to help your kids and how much to leave behind, right? Yeah. And I'm like, I, and, you know, that's just, it's funny that you bring that up because I just talked to my kids about this probably about four weeks ago because we have a family meeting. And I told them, I'm like, look, it's not my responsibility to pay for your college. It's your responsibility. So you better get the best ACT score you can get and you better work your butt off. And then if you need some money after you you know, do your college planning, which I will help you with, then I may give you some money to help you through college. And the reason I did that, it's not that I'm not going to pay for my kids college. It's that I want them to have the ownership in it. Like, I really think that's a big problem with kids today is we don't lean into the children and put the responsibility on them early enough. Um, and I'll be transparent. I didn't do that with my 20 year old son. I'm doing that now, but he's in his, you know, junior year of college. But I'm looking down the line going, I got five more to go. Do I want to do the same thing with those five that I did with him? And the answer is no, I don't want to repeat that. And and I'm helping him, but uh, yeah, the 529 I think is a it's a great mechanism. If I were to tell somebody to do a 529 today, I would tell them keep the nest egg that you put into the 529, let the kids have the interest that they get off of it, and uh, that because most people need that nest egg to you know for their own financial goals. A lot of people are not really in the place to be thinking about financing their kids' college. They really still need to be focused on themselves, and I think they get distracted a little bit by trying to pay for their kids' college when their financial plan is not even solid yet. So just to wrap up here, Tony, what does it mean to be happy and fulfilled to you? And has money and being successful in your career brought that to you at all? I think money, well, for your first question was uh, successful. For me, it's about relationships and just figuring out what makes you tick and enjoy life. And I think for me, if, you know, coming up on 50 years old this year, I'm still trying to figure out some of that, right? It's like, wow, what really brings me joy in a, a big way? Um, you're, it's kind of like a self-discovery journey, and we're on it all the time. And uh, you know, maybe at different times in our lives, there are different things that make us excited. 
Uh, you know, for me, we had a boat for a while. That was a lot of fun. We don't have a boat today, but travel's good. But, you know, family time, spending time watching the kids develop. Those are things that look like success to me. And the more people you can help, uh, that's, that's a really big deal for me right now. Um, you know, 78% of people are living paycheck to paycheck, depending on whose statistics you look at. And I would really like to see, you know, with my life's work for the rest of my life, I'd like to see that number change. I would like to see the statistics change. And then the money really, for me, if you have it, it's great. If you don't have it, you still have to find, you know, happiness in life. Uh, the money just adds to it and enables you to um, enjoy life more, but also help others. Like I said before, you know, enjoy life, help others and serve God. And, and money just allows you to do more of all three of those things. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Tony. I appreciate you coming on and sharing the, sharing your story, sharing some advice. Net worth of $2.5 million, obviously done well, and congrats to you. So thanks again. Yeah, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it, Jace. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Thanks for listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.